And we are back on The Chosen Life. I'm your host, The Chosen Lawyer, and back for the umpteenth episode. He is the money man, one of our favorite guests, practically co-host at this point, Mr. Zachary Rain of Rain Finance. Zach, welcome back to The Chosen Life. Thank you for having me again, John. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent, man. You know what? Life is good. There's no complaints. It's... uh. The viewers have been asking for you, man. They love your answers, especially when we get to our hockey talk, which we will today. But uh, you've uh, you've intrigued people greatly. And uh, I love reading the comments and the questions. And so I got inspired today, Zach, saying, hey, it's time to ask the money man. So we pick some of our favorite questions that the readers have brought for you and going to put it forward today. Beautiful. Let's do it. I, I love doing this because the response that I get, you know, whether it goes one way or another, it's always exciting to read and excited to interact with everybody. Well, how are you doing on the other hand? How is life with you before we get started? Uh, what's up at Rain Finance and the world of money? Life is uh, life is good. It's, it's fun. A lot of my clients are pretty content with where they are because we've set themselves up. Obviously, you know, we're, we're entering a recession now if we already haven't hit it. And, um, the the world is is experiencing something they haven't in 14, 15 years, whatever it's been. Um, for a lot of younger individuals, um, a lot of my young clients, they're like, well, what's happening? I've never seen this before. My older clients have already been through 08. They're just like, yeah, yeah, relax. It's another bump in the road. We'll get through it. Um, so, you know, I've been, I've been very fortunate that we set up our clients properly. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I've had a few calls, which didn't go so well you know people who aren't my clients because I wouldn't let it happen to them but they're calling me trying to figure out how they're going to be able to afford their next mortgage payments and if they're you know their house is going to get foreclosed on which is no fun so um that's that's the not fun part of the job but otherwise we're we're doing good we're having fun amazing amazing well listen you always have a smile on your face and a, you know a step in, uh hop in your step so to speak and that's part of what we love about you Zach and uh I'd let you. uh viewers know and the listeners you know we are both based out of ontario canada uh but a lot of the questions we're going to talk about could be worldwide depending on your particular laws rules guidelines so just make sure wherever you're located in the world and you listen to these questions today it's a lot about money we're gonna have a little bit about hockey today from the readers questions but note each depending on where you live and where you're located, your circumstances may be slightly different, and that's what's very important to speak to a professional in your area. Mm-hmm. Zach, you service all of Ontario or beyond? Yes. No, no, yes, sir. So we, I'm servicing all of Ontario. Um, in some circumstances, we're able to service outside of just Ontario, but within Canada. For tax advice, I like to stick to Ontario, um, and you know, for, for most investment administrative related areas. So not just, you know, whether you should invest in this fund or this fund, but when it comes to the actual administration of the funds, it's also best to stay in Ontario. Um, otherwise, you know, for life insurance planning and things like that, we're all good over the country. Amazing. And for myself as a real estate corporate lawyer, because I called a chosen lawyer and I actually am a lawyer. So I do close deals in Ontario, anywhere in Ontario. And so uh, that's my bread and butter as well. And uh, I definitely encourage the listeners to please hit that subscribe button and notification bell for future episodes. And any questions you have for Zach, the money man, please send them forward. Whether you want to talk about the world of money and investments, real estate, insurance, or hockey, Zach's your guy. And we're going to get to some of our favorite questions today. So we're going to try a new new segment today, Zach. And it's called Ask the Money Man. So I picked some of my favorites. So let's just jump right into it. Awesome. 
So Zach, I'm a first time buyer and I'm very, very excited about buying my first property house or condo. Okay. So they're going to buy a house or condo. When is it okay or encouraged for me to withdraw my savings or use some investments to buy this real estate? So I know from experience as a real estate lawyer, people get very, very scared, Zach. I have what's called liquid money and non-liquid money. So people lock their money into all sorts of vehicles, whether it's for retirement, for future planning. They're worried always about pulling it out. I'm going to guess with this reader. And as far as getting a tax hit, interest hit, or maybe they just should keep their investments where they're being. So people get very nervous. How much or where should I use my investments as far as buying real estate? I'm sure you've had these questions before, Zach. Let's jump in. Awesome. So um, I was just watching uh, a movie or whatever it was uh, a couple of days ago, and I heard a, a quote, I think it's from Jay-Z, which is, if you can't afford to buy it twice, you can't afford it, um, which is, it was an interesting perspective because it really gives you, you know, a look into what's disposable and not, right? Um so when we go over the calculation with my clients, and especially because we live in Ontario, not too many people can afford to buy it twice, if you know what I mean. Um, but when it comes to buying a condo or in or a house, um, we have to we we have to make sure that you're going to be living comfortably, and we have to make sure that an in, you know we take into consideration interest rate risk. And a lot of the problem with people over the last, I want to say three four years, well not even four years, yeah three two two three years was. Um, they didn't take into consideration interest rate risk right, uh, properly, which, you know, the stress test for most people will cover. And we'll get into that in a second. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, you're going to have a set amount of mortgage payments a year, right? Some people do it monthly. Some people do it biweekly. And that biweekly payment for whatever the term of your mortgage is, let's say you do a five-year fixed, it's not going to change for five years. Um, so, you know, you have certainty knowing over the next five years, I'm going to have to pay this much every single month. And that's my mortgage payment, my property tax. Um, and sometimes it's lumped together in one payment. And that's what we're going to need to afford for the cost of housing. On top of that, we're going to have a down payment. Okay. Um, now, before we move out, if we know that this is, well, you know, let's say our mortgage payment's going to be $1,000, which is extremely low, but it's just for the, you know, purpose of, ex of the example. Let's say it's going to be $1,000. And this is every two weeks, it's going to be $1,000. And we want to have an emergency fund, which is a liquid fund saying, God forbid, we were to, you know, lose our jobs, we were to get injured on job, whatever it is. Um, and we're not able to work and produce an income for the next, let's say, you know, whatever it is, 10 months, five months, six months, we want to make sure that we have enough money saved, so that we can afford those payments anyways. Okay, so if we know it's going to cost us a 1000 bucks bi-weekly, right? Every two weeks. And that's give or take 2000 and change a month. And we know we're going to be off for 10 months. So we got to have 20,000 and change available just for these mortgage payments. So boom, that's one thing right there. I always tell people you can't afford to move out if you don't got the 10 months right there. On top of that, you have to have all the rest of your monthly expenses lumped into that emergency fund as well. So that's maintenance, that's utilities, that's car insurance, that's car payments, that's you know your general life insurance. Um, and then just the everyday expenses of life goes. And you know anybody who's gone to buy romaine lettuce recently knows how expensive groceries can be. Um, so you know you have all these things, and I do 10 months because COVID especially has shown us that you know five months isn't exactly the fastest turnaround. So we got to have 10 months available. So you know the the general rule that I'll use is 
10 months of emergency savings plus whatever you need to fill and finish the house. So, so right, right there is a starting point. I would say from a lot of people that come to me and they've already purchased their property. So I, they come to me from a closing standpoint, they've taken every dollar they've saved and you, we'll get into it in a moment, but uh, you know, they say they've been very diligent Zach since they were 18, they put money away in their RRSPs or whatever investment vehicle they did for their retirement. Right. They're now 27, 28, 32, whatever they are. And they're saying, you know what? I'm going to pour my life savings. I'm going to pull this money out right now towards purchasing my real estate. I'll pay it back over what X amount of time. I've never heard people saying, I have enough for my down payment and I have enough for my kitty emergency fund in case this thing goes awry within the first year to five years. And sounds like they should. It, they definitely should. But it's like... You know, if we run through the numbers, we do a one minute exercise right now. It's a tall order, right? Like if we have, you know, these these young kids, um, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, looking to go buy a property for the first time in their life, right? Um, you know, let's say even it's a couple, right? Um, you know, two, two people looking to move out together. We have both their incomes to work on. Average income can $60,000 right now. So they got 120,000 of income between the two of them to buy this property, which is a good amount of money, right? It's not small and significant in Toronto. It's less significant, but it's not a small and significant amount of money, right? Let's say they can qualify for a mortgage of, you know, 35% of their, which is what it's supposed to be, not necessarily what they're doing right now, but that's what they're supposed to be qualifying for. So they're qualifying for a mortgage that's, let's just say 40 grand a year, right? So that's what they're paying in a year. 40 grand a year to have an available income that's after tax is hard enough to begin with. On top of that, we've had to save, you know, money to pay for that 40 grand over 10 months. Let's just call it 35 grand, right? We need to have an extra 35 grand available to move out. On top of that, if we're buying a condo, maybe it's 20 grand to fill it. If we're buying a house, maybe it's 30 or 40 to fill it, right? And when I say fill it, I mean furniture. We're not just sleeping on the ground, right? We need to have, you know, cutlery, plates, cookware, appliances, bed, framing, everything, right? And what if there's small touch-ups that need to be done? What if we need to do a little bit of renos here and there, right? So on top of that, you know, we're asking for another twenty to $30,000, let's just say. So now we have seventy to $80,000. Average cost of closing is probably about 10000 given land transfer tax for first-timers and, um, you know, legal fees and things like that. Title insurance, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. we're you know, we're adding 10 grand. Next thing you know, we're breaching 100 grand, right? Mm-hmm. And that's for just the average small, you know, you know, we're not looking at a relatively nice, you know, condo downtown, maybe a thousand square feet at most, right? Um, so they got to have 100 grand on top of whatever they need to put down. So to ask a 28-year-old or 29-year-old to have saved you know, let's be real, it's a $700,000, at least $800,000 condo right now. We've asked them to save 250, 300,000 between the two of them over their lifetime. Like, you know, we have to have, and these are individuals that were only making 60 grand a piece either, right? Right. It's not like they've been, you know, making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, right? And that's why we're seeing a lot of people get loans from the bank of mommy and daddy, um, which there's nothing wrong with it because in this in this life, it's hard to buy that property to begin with and not be a renter. But it's just, it's unrealistic for a lot of people. So they try and get into the market. They force themselves in the market and they pray to God every day that they're going to be fine. So what investments though are allowable in your mind as far as dipping into to use and 
which ones. So if example, if somebody, let's say they're all their money that they really have is in their retirement vehicle. So let's say RSPs in Ontario. So all your money's in your RSPs. That's, you've been very diligent. You're good about that. Can we use RSP money towards our down payment to buy our first property? Beautiful. It's a great question. And yes, home buyers plan, right? So a lot of people, a lot of people are so happy with the first time home buyers plan account that's coming out or supposed to be coming out. It's not really coming out over the next year. Um, but most people don't realize they've had this account for years just within your RSP. It's called um home buyers plan. You can take up to 35 grand out of it as a tax-free loan. You have to pay back to yourself over 15 years and you got a year buffer in 15 between that. years, one five? Yeah, one five, exactly. Huh? Okay. So even if you take the full thirty-five thousand out, you know, you're paying two and a quarter back every single year, which you should be contributing to your retirement anyways, God willing, if you can. Um, so it's it's really not so much of a loan as much as an incentive to save for retirement and to give you a little bit of a breathing room um when purchasing your first property. You're using tax deductible money because when you contribute to your RSP, it goes against your income with respect to what you need to pay taxes on. So it's an amazing vehicle to use. Um, I recommend people use it because um, A, you know, it's obviously something, like I said, it's tax efficient. You've been able to use it. And B, those next 15 years, you're going to become conditioned to putting money away into your RRSP, which I love because the amount of people who don't save for their RRSPs and are going to be hurting in retirement is astronomical. Now, are there other vehicles, for example, TFSAs? Are there other places where people have, have sunk in monies. What? So that's one example. Another one I'm going to say is generally like, what if I've been a savvy investor? And this is going to segue later on to question number two. I'm taking a further look ahead. But uh, let's say uh, I like to buy stocks and let's say I have them in stocks or I have them in some sort of funds which contain many, many stocks. Am I smart to pull money out of these type of things to buy real estate? Um, well, obviously you want to sell when you're up. <laughs> so that's one thing, but yeah, you're, you're definitely fine to, you know, liquidate some assets. It's all about, it's all about finding that, that allocation, right. Um, of a, what you can afford B, which funds you want to liquidate from and what type of accounts you want to liquidate from. Um, someone like me will go over that because there's some funds better than other to liquidate funds, right? So for instance, a lot of people use their basic savings account, which, you know, it's great. It's not so risk right now, especially it's been great. If you've had it in there the last two years, you're probably laughing at most people. Um, you know, but that's the place that I would probably liquidate it from first, assuming it's not your emergency fund. Your emergency fund is obviously, you know, we're not touching it for a while. Um, and the reason being is because of the growth that you're receiving within your TFSA is tax-free, right? Why would you want to touch that money? Um, you know, same for any non-registered account as a savings account. If it's if it's not growing tax efficiently, let's use that money to put it towards your house and keep the tax efficient money growing, right? And that $35,000 loan is from TFSA or RSPs? No, just RRSPs. Just RRSPs. Wonderful. Well, mm -hmm. that, that I think that answers the question very well. So thank you for the listener to send in that question. You're going to love question number two today, Zach. My investment portfolio has dropped so much in 2022, plus all my Facebook stock. Do I need to worry? Is there hope? Okay, you don't need to worry. Um, well, you, I shouldn't say that. You don't need to worry if you have time, okay? Um, average market downturn cycle lasts three to four years, 
okay? Average market upturn, maybe meaning you know we're we're riding the high right now, lasts give or take 10 years. Okay. Last time it lasted 15 years, as I'm sure you know, almost 15 years. Um, so if you have those three to four years to kind of weather the storm, you're going to be fine. If you need the money tomorrow, you shouldn't have invested in these things to begin with. Um, so, you know, in, in that case, I'd probably be worried if you need the money tomorrow, but otherwise you're going to be fine. Um, the markets generally cycle towards an increase. And the reason behind this, and, you know, a lot of people who are seeing crypto right now are hurting because the crypto markets have just dived um and we didn't see that coming zach yeah well exactly um the reason and it's what i tell people you know i never tell anybody to invest more in crypto than they're willing to lose and it's for a reason right when you have a company like facebook we're talking about billions tens of billions of ip and actual physical tangible assets that we can feel right? So there is value there, no matter what we're offering a service that is going to generate income every single year. Because, you know, especially Instagram, I think is the largest social media platform in the world right now, right? And Instagram is just Facebook, right? So if we're talking about, you know, and being WhatsApp. able to, you know, exactly in WhatsApp, right? And if we're talking about being able to generate income um, on a move forward basis for Facebook's going to make tons of money. I'm not worried about Facebook. And though they're turning down right now, they're, you know, they're trending down. Maybe they've been overvalued. Maybe their value has been, you know, associated with some type of inflated call that isn't, uh, that isn't, you know, necessarily true. Um, Facebook's going to generate up. Crypto, on the other hand, you know, it doesn't have inherently any value to it. It's not like, you know, a piece of gold, which you can go to a market and trade. It's not like, you know, a security where, you know, here's my certificate for the security. You know, this buys me if the company goes bankrupt, you know, 1% of their assets. Right. Um, so it's it's just it doesn't have that tangible feel to it, which is why it's hurting for a lot of people right now, though. That's also not to say that it may go up otherwise, because it feels that it's untraceable as of now. So, well, there's that crypto king uh, based out of the Bahamas who's been in the news uh, lately and uh, his billionaire status got wiped out. Ninety uh, percent plus can't tell you his name off the top of my head right now, but. Elon Musk said that he met him originally when he was doing the Twitter purchase and said, uh, I was told this guy walks on water and he can't miss and he wants to help me. He said, after a 30 minute meeting, my BS meter was running off the hook meeting this guy. Yeah. And sure enough, Elon Musk turned out to be correct because now this is in the world of hurt as far as in the crypto world. And when you're one of the bigger crypto people and turns out that you have crypto issues, including apparently I was reading it as well about, you know, purchasing your own coins before it went out to the public and the form of crypto insider trading. To me, it's all buying things, money you're saying based on air. And I'm telling you that I have money. It doesn't exist, but I'm trust me, it's there. It's electronic. Uh, when one person falls, I think it hurts the whole industry, right? It does. Well, it's, it's especially when you're that heavily diluted, right? Um, not to mention, you know, there is there is an inherent reliance on Binance in this situation, which caused major issues, right? Um, and I'm not going to get too much into the crypto because if I were to tell you the amount of like kids I coached, right? Like kids, multiple, many kids I coached that bought, you know, a couple of these, you know, a couple of these crypto shares and whatever it was at coins, this coins. or coins, whatever it was at this time, um, you know, maybe they bought um, a piece of this one or, you know, Ethereum or uh, whatever it was at this time. And, oh yeah, now I'm worth $500,000, right? 
Like it's, they've made crazy amounts of money. So it's not to say that there's not a worthy investment. And it's not to say that some of these coins can't be used moving forward because there are countries that are implementing them as actual currency and using them as actual currency and using the technology, right? Like the blockchain technology is going to revolutionize this world if it hasn't already. Um, so there's there's definitely value there. It's just a, a matter of, of what we're seeing. Anyways, to the original question, should you be worried? Give it time. You'll be fine. Like take Tom Brady, for example. Tom Brady is going through his own issues right now, which we won't get into as far as personal life. But then you hear about his investments. He was heavily invested into crypto as well. I don't know if he was getting paid in crypto partially, but I know that he was heavily invested in it. When Tom Brady's investment goes down in crypto, you got to also know Tom Brady could lose $3 million and it'll be like you and I lose $10, Zach, because also Tom Brady has a vast amount of portfolio, including buying a pickleball team. Yeah. And in pickleball, the fastest growing sport. So he knows how to diversify himself. But he, but it's one of those things that you've always said about his investing. You're going to invest in something that's not going to be a sure thing or it has to be a long-term play. Do it that if you're going to lose your shirt, you're not going to feel it. Because if you're putting in your life savings into this, that could be a scary proposition. There's lots of people I've heard that put money into crypto and other items, which I'm sure they're feeling. And the same thing they say, I put money in Apple stock and I'm 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 immune to any issues, you know, and look at Facebook. I think with Facebook, if I had to guess this whole metaverse thing, which people still don't understand Web3. So we're all apparently on Web2 and then we're all going to be, you know, like avatar and we're going to be living in our avatar world. Well, that hasn't happened yet the way everybody said it was going to be. Maybe it will in the future. The technology is still fairly new. But when you're creating a new technology and it's not fully implemented, that cost of infrastructure and not seeing returns can really drag it down. And I think that's what they're feeling over there. Similarly, like I, I, if we're going to talk about investments, we're putting money into things, right? Elon Musk, and you're saying uh, Tesla and Tesla, you know, can't miss. He's still, I think, uh, the the leading uh, holder, but he's only has 12% from the last time I read. So there's nine, there's 88% out there that other people own of it. And now he goes into Twitter. When I'm hearing these things, you know, Zach, and other people hear it, and you hear it in the news, and, you know, and you're, you're really big into investments. Okay, does that mean I should be buying more Tesla? Should I be buying more Twitter? Or should I be selling it? What what goes through your mind as a money investment guru when you hear all these Elon Musk stories and Facebook stories and Twitter stories? Like what 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 do you feel from that end as far as from an investment standpoint? Um, it, it changes a bunch of things. So for instance, you know, we, we'll use Elon Musk for this example. And when he bought Twitter, Twitter was a dying platform a few <laughs> years ago. Um, I want to say before the Trump era, right? It was yes. a platform that wasn't getting as much traction as used to it used to be the sounding board for the whole world to know what's up right um you know then eventually instagram came along and instagram became the sounding board because you posted a picture with it and you, whatever caption you wanted right um and but, tiktok well tiktok now yes tiktok now is changing the world um but twitter twitter since you know revived itself given all the all the arguments that like to happen over twitter um and so, you know, for, for Elon Musk to diversify himself and go into that social media, especially because he has used the platform to earn so much money in his lifetime, it's not exactly a bad idea. These social medias are always good forms of investment. I don't want to say always, but are usually good forms of investments. We've seen Mark Zuckerberg make more money than God using this these platforms. Um, so, you know, I don't hate it. Um, I like the idea to stick to what you're good at, um, which... 
for Elon Musk is a very broad spectrum because he seems to be good at everything. Um, so, you know, for him, especially, I don't hate it. For other people, I don't love diversifying into, you know, a different, a whole different industry um, when you may not necessarily know what you're getting yourself into. But the key thing with people like Elon Musk and, you know, many, many big uh, CEOs, powerful people. So you have to understand that even though they may be investing their money into it, they have a team of people surrounding them, you know, some of them into the hundreds that know exactly what they're talking about. And they hire these people because they're smart enough to know, hey, too many cooks in the kitchen. I don't know what I'm talking about here. I'm going to leave you to it. And so that's why it doesn't it doesn't really shake me too much when I hear these things. I heard a fantastic conspiracy theory. Not that it's necessarily a conspiracy theory. It's when somebody who's very, very intelligent in the world of investing. Uh, I don't know if you can call him a day trader or what he is. We will not name him. But he's, he did bring aboard a very interesting point and just food for thought out there that Elon Musk wants to sell his Tesla stock. Doesn't want to see him as dumping the Tesla stock because he doesn't want to create a whole scare. And the way to do that, put up the Trojan horse, so to speak. And that's I'm buying Twitter. So everybody's so focused on Twitter and the purchase of Twitter and what's going on Twitter. They're forgetting about the fact that he's diluting his Tesla holdings. So interesting theory there that was run by me. Well, and that's not something I wouldn't call it necessarily conspiracy theory. It's definitely reality. Um, and, you know, I've heard this one a couple of times over the last couple of years. And the reality that we need to understand for people like Elon Musk is, you know, he 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 made his fortune on an industry of battery powered vehicles and battery powered resource um you know reusable resources right um so that's just you know it's not just the tesla um car you know the model x that you see out driving out there but it's also you know the gigafactories that he's has that are powering countries and the reality is is you're now going to see a lot of competition in that area um and what it's going to do is drive down the price of everything which for him it's not a it's not a winning for formula right like simple supply and demand the less supply the more demand you know, it just drives up the curve there right up to the value and it increases the price drastically. But now that we have more supply coming out, you know, cars have been mandated in certain countries. They have to be EV, you know, within the next three years, right? So, you know, Elon Musk is going to see a lot of competition, which he's probably not too happy about and he wants to sell on the upper. Yeah, I mean, think about just people, if you look in the car industry and it's amazing and do your research a little bit, any car that you go to purchase and you think, wow, this is cool, it's a different company. There's only three or four companies that own all of them. So you look at Volkswagen, for example, they own pretty much every single brand out there. And to go up against Volkswagen, that's a scary proposition considering how deep pockets they are. Oh, yeah. And when they're catching up to you and they're at your heels, that, that's not great for competition. I hear you. Uh, last question on this part of it. I'm just thinking ahead because I know I've been asked this one a lot. Take, for example... Let's go back to that 32-year-old investor, okay? Mm -hmm. And Zach, they, they decide, you know, I'm going to be really good. I'm going to put my money and diversify through my financial planner, and I'm going to put $20,000 in this year, and we're going to put in different funds. I, I get my statement at the end of the year. I invested in January 2022. Now it's December coming up 2022, and my, my holdings is worth $15,000. How do you answer somebody that where they're at as far as don't worry about this? And number two, in fact... If you have the available money, now's the time to buy rather than sell. Yeah, um, so it's an easy conversation for people like me. Um, and the reason being is, is I wouldn't invest this person in anything that they don't have a timeline that they can't afford the risk, 
Okay. So it's like I said before, um, you know, if this individual came up to me, they put in 20 grand or whatever it is. And they said, you know, I'm in for the next 10 years. Then I'd say, Nacho, this is the ebbs and flows. The reality is, is in the marketplace, there's only, you know, so many, and it's, and it's a handful of days in a year where you see multi, multi um, percentage returns uh, in the market. Right. So for instance, we had one, if it wasn't last week, it was a couple of weeks ago where, you know, the Dow, where, what was it? No, it was, I think it was last week because um, the interest rates or the inflation rate was shown to be declining, if not stabilizing. And yes, when the week. market saw that, they went nuts, right? Everyone's like, oh my God, inflation is finally going to stop. Maybe it's going to go down a little bit. We're, we're finally reaching the peak of inflation, which was very exciting for most people. And then in that one day, right, that one day we saw five and a half percent returns in the market indices, right? Five and a half return is huge. So what you have to tell people and what people, you know, they have to see themselves is there's only really five or six days in a whole year that can make or break your portfolio, which is why you have to remain invested, right? It's the same for the, you know, for the alternative, which was, I think, February 24th of 2020, which is when the market, I don't want to say crashed, but it's when it took its major dip, right? 30%, 35% losses for most people. If you weren't invested that one day, you'd be fine, right? But, you know, on the same token, you have to be there for those single day uproars, which is that five and a half percent. So, you know, I, I tell people you can't take your money out and just, you know, oh, after it goes up a little bit, we're going to put it in because you don't know that. Right. Like we didn't know we've had 10 CPI inflation reports that were way too high. How did we know the 11th was going to be good? You know, for the average investor, we don't have access to that data. Um could we be hopeful? Could an, as an economist like myself be hopeful and say, well, you know, it, it should be coming down right about now? Then yeah, I could. Um, but for the average person, they don't know that. Um, and two, you know, it's like I said, you, you're not investing for a period of time as of, you know, six months. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even let you do that. Like I've turned away. I had somebody come up to me and, you know, for half a million bucks, they wanted to invest with me, which is a substantial amount of money for, you know, the average advisor. And I said, forget about it because they want it in for a year. And I said, you can't afford a year, right? They want to go buy a property with this money. I said, well, I'm sorry, but you know, if you need this half million to buy the property, you can't afford, you know, the market just as easily could have said, well, inflation's now up 1% higher than expected and you'd lost 10%. Let me guess. They said to you, Zach, I'm giving it to you for a year. I'm going to go buy my property. Just put it in something safe, but I want at least a 5% return guaranteed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. So what can I go in that's going to give me a 7% return, but absolutely no risk, right? And I tell them, you know, GICs they should be looking at right now. Um, no one's happy to hear. What I have told people as far as from an investment standpoint, and for those people out there that do have any kind of liquid money, when it is recessionary times, scary times, people are pulling out of things, and this could be in anything. It could be in real estate. It could be in stocks. Uh, when people are looking to sell and dump and the price is going down, that's the best time to buy. If you can buy it and hold on to it, because in the long term, you're going to be laughing versus when you're buying in the mad rush, when everybody's clamoring to buy, prices are skyrocketing and you're just trying to get in. So something to think about, you know, you know, not to fall the herd. Let's sell when we need to dump it and let's buy it in the peak time. Try to reverse that. You may be a lot happier as an investor. Absolutely. You know, we got to, we got to hit that dollar cost averaging, right? Certain times of the year, dollar cost averaging, I wouldn't even say certain times, usually it is, is the best strategy, right? What's dollar cost averaging? We're putting the same amount of money every single period in so that we're hitting the market at every single point in its growth and its decline to make sure that we're averaging out all losses and all gains, right? Um, and if you've been doing that in the stock market or the crypto market or whatever market or real estate market, you're going to be okay.
Now, before we jump into hockey, because I know we love our hockey talk and we got a great hockey question waiting here. But Zach, are you okay with an insurance question first? Oh, my bread and butter, baby. Let's talk. You're okay with insurance. Okay. So back to real estate, because, you know, I'm a real estate lawyer. When I see real estate questions, I get kind of excited because I'm like, let's talk about real estate plus money. So you and I combine our loves when we're not talking about sports and other things. I'm going to look in the back to this first time person. So it's a different person, actually, but they're saying I'm going to go buy my first home. And my mortgage rep is talking to me about the importance of me buying mortgage insurance, about life and disability. If something happens to me, that my mortgage is going to get paid. Is this a good idea or is there a better way? So you should know that the majority of people I work with are real estate investors. Okay. okay. So when we talk about real estate, I love it. Um, mortgage insurance is the worst insurance product in the world. Okay. Um, and it's for many reasons. Uh, and it baffles me that, that it's even still allowed to be sold. So, you know, that's, that's a whole other thing that I'm trying to work on right now. Um, but it is the worst insurance product ever existed. Um, CBC did a, a marketplace kind of like a, like a, like a experiment. Um, they took a bunch of people onto the dance floor and these were people of all ages, varieties, whatever it was. Um, and they went through the mortgage insurance process with them. Right. And what's the mortgage insurance process? Well, if you have this, this, and this, you know, you don't qualify for insurance. But the problem is, is most people, when they do their mortgage insurance application or a broker does the insurance application with them, it's just, hey, you don't have this or this or this, right? Okay, no problem. Initial here, right? That's how quick it is. It's a check of a box and you're done right? The actual life insurance process is much deeper. And so, you know, I'm going to get into, into the specific steps right now, but you know, everybody, if you haven't had a chance, go look up this CBC marketplace, um, mortgage insurance, uh, kind of, you know, they do, they do like a, a 20 minute uh, seminar, 20 minutes, you know, ex experiment as to who qualifies for mortgage insurance. Anyways. So I, I got a question for you before we start. So as a, as a real estate lawyer, Having practiced now for 20 years, kind of 20 years. Wow. Like, uh, that's cool. I used to not have any grades when I started practicing in real estate. Well, law. Congratulations. Got, hey, that's a big deal. Coming up to my anniversary of 20 years. So in the thousands and thousands of real estate transactions that I've closed in my lifetime, and I, not every mortgage, they ask me to put forward to the client about, do they want to purchase mortgage insurance, life or disability? But I've had quite a few how many people would you guess have purchased life and disability insurance in the whole time I've been practicing real estate law and all the thousands of transactions? I want to say the answer is zero. I'm hoping to say it's less than 10. Realistically, I want to say 50. One five or five zero? One or five zero. Five zero. So let's say 10,000 transactions, 100,000 transactions, doesn't matter. But it's been a lot of thousands of transactions that I've been exposed to either myself or through my various firm. Okay. I can tell you in my head with certainty, it's one. One person. I'm pretty sure there was a second. That's it. And it always mystified me as a real estate lawyer because I have not received my insurance designation. Pretty sure the mortgage rep that was uh, putting together the mortgage is not a designated insurance person. Where are we qualified exactly to get people to fill out a checklist and to answer all these questions and put forward to apply for life or disability? 
And uh, that I found always scary. And so uh, we have a section, do you want to apply yes, initial, or no, initial? And if they're going to say yes, they have to answer a whole bunch of questions. And the answer is usually it's too expensive or I have my own insurance, which is way cheaper and gives me more protection. So I'm very curious to hear from the source because, you know, you do insurance as part of, you know, taking care of people's monies. You're saying this is the world's worst product for mortgage insurance. Then what is the alternative for people? They're saying, hey, something happens to me and I want to make sure my mortgage is looked after. Is there another way, Zach? Absolutely. Right. So, so let's, let's turn through it. Why is mortgage insurance the worst product out there? Okay. One, all right. One. And the biggest reason it is post-claim underwritten. And that's the majority of the time. So what does that mean? It means, let's say you bought this mortgage insurance. It protects the value of your outstanding mortgage balance over the term that you have it. So let's say you got a half million dollar mortgage, you get mortgage insurance for that balance. And over the next five years, throughout your mortgage payments, um, you know, your mortgage payments reduced, God forbid you passed away. It would pay just the cost of the mortgage balance out completely. And that's, you know, still good. We want to get rid of the mortgage balance, um, especially for the surviving spouses, if there is one or your dependents, whoever it is. Um, and, and that's great, right? The problem is here, you have to qualify for it after you've died. Okay. So what does that mean? You answer the questionnaire and these questionnaires, they're built to be ambiguous and very difficult for the average person to fill out. Mortgage brokers, because they're not licensed and aren't educated into insurance practices, don't really have much of a clue of what's going on when they do these insurance questionnaires. So they're, I want to say the vast majority of the time filled out incorrectly. And what that means is, well, you know, let's just say spouse A and B who have filled this application, spouse B dies, spouse A goes to make their claim. Well, you know, let's go look at spouse B's health history. Let's go call their doctor. Let's see what's going on. Well, did they have this condition? This is, oh, well, you lied on your insurance application, even though as two you know, honest, trustworthy people. They had no clue what was going on. Well, your claim is declined. Thank you for paying for this for 15 years. Uh, move on with your life. We're not paying you a dollar. And that part of, that's part of the CBC experiment. So you'll see, you know, it, it's hurt a lot of people. On top of that, mortgage insurance is a pooled product. So what that means is that the risk is across every person. It's not individually associated. It's just with one large, large, large group of people. So what that happens is, is if you usually have risk assumed by a large, large group of people, and that's their choice, instead of getting individually risk um, you know, assessments, well, it means that they're not healthy. So that means that they're going to charge rates that are astronomical, which is why you'll hear people say, oh, well, it's too expensive. It, it is too expensive. It is way more expensive. Um, on top of that, most people change their mortgages every five years, right? So you buy insurance for five years, you pay for it for five years. Oh, and then the next five years you're gone. So you're paying for another five years as an older individual with an insurance product at a different bank, right? Um, and, you know, for an insurance planner, somebody like myself, you know, the lack of portability is a big problem. But the biggest problem is, is that the proceeds of the insurance directly go to the bank. Now, if your spouse A, and you have, you know, kids A, B, and C, and you're in the process of grieving the loss, right? You have funeral costs you need to pay. You have maybe tax liabilities you need to pay. Not to mention, you know, you still have all you know, the rest of your life 
that you need to have, you know, income for the survivor, you know, education funds for your kids. Um, you know, maybe you want to leave a legacy to the kids. Maybe you want to leave a sinking fund because you've got a cottage and you want that cottage to be paid for for the rest of your life, right? You don't have the flexibility or freedom to choose where this money goes. And even if spouse A makes a good chunk of change and they can afford to carry the cost of the mortgage and they'd rather invest that money, not an option. The alternative to mortgage insurance and the proof that mortgage insurance is the worst product in the world is basic term life insurance, okay? You get it for whatever term you want. You can get it for a 10-year term. You can get it for a 20-year term. You can get it for 25, 30 years, however long you want to have it. And what it does is it'll cover you for that term at one set amount. So, you know, for instance, I just did it for this lovely couple before we got on here. Um, they just purchased a house. They've got an $800,000 mortgage, couple of kids. Um, and so we did a whole analysis as to how much insurance they need. 800,000 to pay the, the mortgage debt off completely done. Okay. That was their preference. That's what they wanted done. 800,000 at the very minimum, right? On top of that, do you have significant RRSP savings? Uh, you know, are we going to need to supplement that RSP savings in the future? Because with one income, you're not saving as much money. On top of that, is that one income now where the surviving spouse enough to live off of, right? We've got to still put food on the table for the kids and everything like that. Um, so what we can do is we can factor in all of these things and offer you additional support over and above just the balance of your mortgage. And here's the rye, right? Uh, John, if we have a mortgage, we're for the average person, God willing, paying down our mortgage, right? We want less debt. Not everybody, a lot of real estate investors, they love the debt, right? They drool when they see debt. But for the average person, they don't want that debt. So we pay our mortgage balance down, which means our insurance coverage goes down, but we're paying the same price. For this product, this term life insurance with us, you pay 20 years, let's say 60 bucks a month, every month, and you're getting a million a million three of term insurance, right? That's mm -hmm. a good amount of money. You're getting coverage for 20 years. You have options, you have flexibility. You can decide where the money goes, what you want to do with it. And the underwriting is done up front. So you are either approved or declined right from the get-go, which means if you're approved, this $150 billion company has said, yes, we will ensure you, God forbid, you die. And we have a contractual obligation to pay out this death benefit should you die. Obviously, there's exclusions like you can't commit suicide. You know, um, that's within the first two years. That's one thing. But otherwise, we're paying this death benefit no matter what. So what kind of certainty is mortgage insurance and post-claim underwriting compared to that? You're blowing my mind because I didn't even realize that in mortgage insurance that I thought once they approve you, they approve you like like life insurance. It's the, you're paying all this money, and only to find out after the fact that you may be declined, and they don't give you back your money, and they've kept all your money. That that's a great product for them. Now, oh, yeah. I can understand if you go to a new bank and you get a new mortgage after five years, you're gonna have to get new insurance at that point. Now, if you stay with the same bank, but let's say for example, people go to refinance and there's more equity in the property, Zach. So like, okay, so. I took out a $500,000 mortgage with you and I paid it down to 400,000, but now my property's gone way up. So let's refinance and I'm going to have now an $800,000 mortgage. What happens to that insurance? If they bought yeah. the life insurance from day one, are they going to have to buy new, are they have to reapply now for the, they're going to have to reapply. Wow. As an older person with more risk, 
incredible. So that's why people don't purchase this. And this is why there are alternatives. Yeah, thank God. And you know what? The vast majority of mortgage brokers out there know exactly what they're selling to people and they'll tell them no. Like they'll, and, and that's, you know, I get a good amount of referrals from mortgage brokers saying, you know, here's clients, you know, A and B, spouse, you know, Jack and Jill, whatever it is. Um, they just bought a property. This is their new mortgage. Speak to them about life insurance, please, because they know they can't sell them. They can't forget about, you know, ethically and morally, they can't in their hearts sell the mortgage insurance. And if you're a real estate lawyer out there, or you're a mortgage broker, and you're hearing this episode, and you're dealing with clients, think about this end of it, because also as a professional, if you're going to push insurance that you're not quite aware of, uh, you're potentially putting yourself at risk from a professional for liability standpoint. So think long and hard about how you're selling that and what you're telling your clients when you're presented with these type of products. So that sums up today with real estate, investing, insurance. But last but not least, from a question standpoint, I know you're going to love this one. We're going to get to hockey. Oh, I love hockey so much. And so I love reading the comments too. Oh, yes. They, they love you and they hate you, but they are talking about you, buddy. Exactly. <laughs> we got them thinking, certainly. And now looking, we're in the 2022-2023 season, and it's early on in the NHL season. And a writer has put in here a question, and they're saying, Zach, I know you love hockey. So far in this season, can you please tell me your biggest surprise and disappointment player in the NHL. Okay. Um, I know I got mine, Zach. It takes, took me about three seconds, but uh, <laughs> I uh, I'll let okay, you go so, first. Let's no, no, let, let, let's let you go first because I got a few actually. So you go first. Okay. Well, let's say we're just allowed one and that's it. Fine. I would say for a pleasant surprise this year because everybody's talking about him is Eric Carlson. And everybody left him for dead, pretty much. And he's washed up, done. And you look at his age and look at his injuries. And when this guy's healthy, what this guy was capable of back in the day with Ottawa and uh, San Jose, right? Yeah. One of the few guys left in San Jose because they said it was the most unmovable contract ever. But everybody else is gone, pretty much. And uh, second awakening. But uh, I think that people should have seen this coming as long as he stayed healthy. So he's my surprise, my pleasant surprise for this season. So kudos to Eric Carlson for turning it around. And the biggest disappointment, I would say, in Edmonton, first of all, they're already reeling from Evander Kane, and he was not a disappointment. I mean, the guy cannot avoid that injury, and that was scary, Zach. Like, yeah, thank goodness he's come, he's supposed to be coming back this year, but you know, slashing the wrist. The blood, everything, you know, Evander Kane, such a great strong uh, start to the season, such a great fit there. Hugely disappointing as far as what happened to him, but he's not the disappointment. But on that team, I would say he's uh, Toronto is uh, well aware of this pain, and it's Mr. Jack Campbell. And it is early in the season that they're already saying, wow, we are stuck with this albatross contract, and Skinner is our present and our future. So Jack Campbell, you are uh, wearing that hat, buddy. You are my disappointment. You know what? I hate to do it to Soupy because I love the guy. I love watching the post games with him. He's seriously, he, everybody tells me he's the nicest guy in the world, but he's on my list. This guy, and, you know, I never took him in fantasy because we saw it coming. Um, the metrics for a great defensive team in Toronto, which, you know, the defense in Toronto aren't great, but their overall style of play is defensive. They carried Jack Campbell and Peter Morazic for a while. 
um, mainly out of necessity because they were never 1A goalies. And, you know, clearly the folks in Edmonton thought so, but he's not, you know. There's, you know, he's streaky, so I'll give it to Campbell. Right now he's on a bad streak. Maybe he'll turn it up in the future. I'm sure he will. But even then, once he turns it up, he's not a 1A. He's a 1B at best. Um, and so, you know, I, I give kudos to Dubis. I'm not budging and saying, listen, we're not giving you that kind of money when you're not that guy. Um, you know, we're hoping here in Toronto that Matt Murray's going to come back and be that guy. Um, though, you know, it's suffice to say that many of us are doubtful. Um, Is the Zamboni driver now starting in goal for the Leafs, by the way? Yeah, exactly. We're, I think we're, we're, we're on our third string. Um, he's doing pretty good. So let's hope it stays there, but there's a fourth stream, that's fourth string, uh, warming up. Um, no, Matt Murray's about to come back. But when he was uh, healthy, Samsonov looked pretty good out there. Yeah. Looked pretty he happy with him. Yeah. No, not bad at all. Um, and as far as Eric Carlson goes, you know what? Everybody who's been just hitting him, like there are posts everywhere, worst contract in the NHL. Like, I'm sorry. When this guy's healthy and he is on, he's, I don't know if he's the best defenseman in the NHL, but he's definitely up there. He's given people like Kale McCarr a run for their money right now, which nobody's done over the last two, three years. Um, you know, not even Roman Yossi, who put up like 90 points last year. Um, so, Modern day Bobby Orr. Well, exactly. Um, just so, you know, he's making a lot of people eat their words right now. I'm happy to see it. I remember going to see the guy play in Ottawa like years and years and years ago in person. We were there for whatever reason, my family and I in Ottawa. And the guy floats on the ice. He is like literal butter. And it is, it's in fact, it's just fantastic to see another good guy, good personality. Um, if but... you could put together a group of investors, Zach, the senators are for sale. So if that is something that you're thinking of for your uh, financial future, uh, maybe consider the senators. Well, that's, I called my biggest client is worth a few hundred million. Um, and I said to him, I said, cause we're both hockey fans as well. Um, and, and he lives closer to Ottawa than he does Toronto. It's not Ryan Reynolds, is it? No, God willing. Not that you can um, say it, but yeah. No, exactly. Um, but it's not Ryan Reynolds. No, it's not Ryan Reynolds, but I wish. Anyways, um, I, we were just joking about it, and he actually knows one of the people who may be going in with Ryan Reynolds. Um, so that that was that was an interesting conversation, but I don't know. I wish that all the Ottawa Senators team is going to be very exciting to watch for the next few years. And so. I would move them to Quebec City, and. Uh, your other surprises and disappointments, please. Okay. One for me has been Braden Point. Um, not that I didn't think Tampa Bay was going to take a downturn because I kind of figured that was going to happen. You can only hold on for so long. Um, it happens to all the best teams. It happened with Pittsburgh after, you know, they won their OG Stanley Cup and then they went through a little bit of a slump and they got back up. So it's not to say that their, you know, perennial talent talents won't stay in the conversation for a while, but Braden Point's been horrible. Um, so he's been, you know, definitely a big disappointment for me. Um, a happy surprise for me, um, that actually it comes out of the Leafs, to be honest with you, um, has been Mark Giordano. Now, you know, the guy was an absolutely amazing defenseman in his prime. He's no longer there. Um, but for a guy who was signed up on a low contract, who looked at the beginning of the year, like he was worth the low contract. Um, he has played so well and I'm, I'm really enjoying watching him play. He's defensively sound. He, you know, the one we, we all saw the one play where he became a linebacker. Um, I love to see that. So it's been nice seeing him play. And then Willie Nylander, of course, 
anybody watched the Amazon Prime docuseries on on uh, the Leafs a couple of years ago when they went on their run? Um, and I think it was Dubis who said it. He goes, he's the most polarizing player to watch because there's some times where you're like, there's nobody in the world who can do what William Nylander just did. And then there's sometimes like, what kind of sport does he think he's playing out there, right? Uh, but he's been fantastic. And watching him treat uh, Bore Solomon the way he did over the last week, it shows the character in him that a lot of people didn't think he had, which, you know, it was it was very nice to see. It was the utmost respect and honor for a Swede playing in the NHL to the guy who brought Swedes to the NHL, to, brought all Europeans to the NHL, tipping his cap saying, I'm not here without you, big guy, and I respect you immensely. So, that was beautiful. It was beautiful. And looking at this point, looking ahead, if you had to pick right now who's going to be in the Stanley Cup Finals, who you like in at this Carolina. Place? Carolina, eh? They're a juggernaut. It's hard for me with Carolina because they still have Frederick Anderson on their team, who the second the playoffs come around, the guy's just absolutely gone. You know, he's like the ghost of Christmas past. He only shows up once a year. Um, but otherwise, Carolina, they're a juggernaut, man. Just give them time. They're going to be hard to beat. Pittsburgh, though they've lost many games this year for whatever reason, they're going to turn it around. Watch them as well. Um, who else? Colorado. Hard to take them out of the conversation. They don't have the goaltending they need. Um, I still think the Leafs are going to be up there because, you know, Dubis, if you're watching it now, Muzzin's gone. Like, the guy should be retiring. If he's not discussing retirement, then he needs different people in his circle. Um, so you got another $5.5 in the room right there. Brody's out for a couple couple weeks. So you got $5.5 million at least of room moving forward. So Dubis has got options, and he's going to swing it. Uh, he's got no choice because he's done after this year if he, unless he swings it. So I think there'll be a bunch of teams that at the trade deadline have these players mysteriously go on long-term injury, pick up these contracts, and mysteriously when the playoffs start, they'll all come back healthy. They're always there. Always. is the, That's just the way it is. But how about you? What are your top three teams that you think are going to be in the NHL Cup this year? You know what? Um I can't argue with the teams you've said so far. I like Carolina as well, you know, and uh, Freddie, it's like he, he frustrates me, but man, when he's on, he's on. Um, I'm actually going to say that the Leafs are going to win at least two playoff rounds this year. I think yeah. it's going to happen. I think it's going to come together for them. So I'm, I'm with you, but it's way too early for me. And, uh, you know, hockey being uh, number three on my depth charts behind baseball, number one, basketball, number two, it's way too early. There's too many injuries. And goalies, I love goalies, but they frustrate me. And that's you're seeing in Toronto, when your number one goes down, your number two goes down, it's a freaking problem. And not a lot of teams have the luxury of even having two good goalies in their uh, on their bench. So no, look at look at uh, Shesterkin, right? What's happened to this guy now? He signed a big one, bad, and had a career year, and he's even worse than Campbell, right? Like our third string Shalgren has been better than him. It does play on people's minds. I've seen this a lot in all sports. You sign that big contract, big expectations. You were a backup. And all of a sudden, you're the guy. Ask Jimmy G in, in football. You know, everybody's saying he's the heir apparent to Tom Brady. And then they pull him away. And then they're, they get frustrated real fast. So it's not that easy being a superstar. No, it just it's also the, the hardest play, the harsh, hardest um hardest position on the on the ice is being a goalie. So, you know, yeah, obviously. Sitting in football, being a quarterback. Yeah, I sympathize for these people, but by the same token, man, like, where are you? 
Zachary Rain, as always, really appreciate you taking the time for us, helping teach us about money, investments, hockey. You will be back. You are a regular on the show for a good reason. The ratings show that, and the people love you. Uh, any you. final thoughts you want to share with our viewers today? Um, yeah, just just stay calm. Make sure that you know you're creating your power team. You have your people surrounding you throughout the the next year or two because you know it's still going to be turbulent. So. Make sure you got your lawyer, your financial advisor, happy to help, um, you know, your mortgage broker, your accountant, um, all, you know, you're having regular conversations with them saying, you know, this is a situation, how I can prepare best for the future. Stay calm. We're going to get through this. Um, you know, the good thing is nothing lasts forever. Uh, and the good is usually much longer than the bad. So um, just calm. That's what I want to tell people um, and to, you know, prepare as best for the future so that when opportunity is available, you strike. Real estate investors, stock investors, purchasing insurance, hockey fans, all of you can share this. Stay calm. It's all going to work out. There you go, baby. The song says, we'll see you in December, Zach. And until next time, we pull out our guns and we always say, keep living the chosen life. Yeah, baby.